Hey, welcome to the Juice Box Podcast. This is the bonus episode to the Ryan Hansen interview about maternal mortality. Uh, today's episode is with, and she's going to have to forgive me because I'm going to butcher her name probably, uh, Dr. Priya Agrawal um, from Merck for Mothers. I'm clicking around here, obviously, as I should not be. That is not very, uh, I'm sure that's not something you want to be listening to. But, okay, Merck for Mothers. A little bit about them just real quick from their website. In 10 years, they've committed over $500 million. They have over 75 partners in over 30 countries, and they have to date helped 5 million women uh, find reliable access to affordable quality care and modern contraception. Now, they're trying to get the word out in the United States, which is how they ended up on the Juice Box podcast. The issue of maternal mortality is serious, more prevalent than you would imagine, and uh, definitely something you want to understand if you are thinking of having a baby, having a baby pregnant right now, about to give birth, know somebody who's pregnant. There are only a few things you need to do to really help you have a much safer birth and, and after birth experience. Obviously, if you're listening, you listen to Ryan and you want to learn more about um, maternal mortality. I know I've just said doctor and, and mortality a couple of times, and it seems like it might not be too much fun, but trust me, the doctor does a really great job of presenting the information well, and she has a British accent, so you can't lose. Okay, all right. So my name is Dr. Priya Agrawal. I'm executive director of Merck for Mothers, um, and Merck for Mothers is Merck's $500 million 10-year commitment to reducing uh, preventable maternal mortality, so that's women who die during pregnancy and childbirth around the world. And that doesn't just mean in the moment that they're giving birth either. It's, it's the time before the birth and after also where things go wrong and, and maybe people don't notice that they're going to go wrong. Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, we often say um, sort of globally, and it's the same in the U.S., that maternal mortality is actually a canary in the coal mine. So you need a whole functioning health system. And that's sort of what happens in the community, what happens in the health facility, in the family, um, to have a, you know, to save a woman's life during pregnancy and childbirth. So, you know, some people have started to question, well, actually, if the numbers of maternal deaths are going up in the U.S., um, is this, you know, should we be asking whether our health system is actually functioning in this country? And, and for, so for somebody who would answer that and say, well, what does that mean going up? What, what are the numbers in the U.S.? Yeah, so globally, the numbers have actually dropped by 45% since 1990, right? So everywhere we normally think about these things happening, Africa, um, Asia, etc., the numbers are going down. In the same time period, the numbers have doubled in the U.S., so that we're now having approximately 1,000 to 1,200 deaths a year in this country. Now, those are just the numbers of deaths, and I say just, right? You, I think we would all say that as the majority of these deaths are completely preventable, mm -hmm. these are actually tragedies. Um, but more worrying in terms of the numbers is that approximately every 8 to 10 minutes, a woman in this country experiences a near miss. That is, she narrowly escapes dying during pregnancy and childbirth. And it just um, kind of so passes because it, it goes away in our minds because the, the tragedy doesn't actually come to pass, but it comes close enough. And, and is it true that this could happen to you and you may not know it when it's over? Yeah, so 
I think there's a couple of issues on why, you know, the awareness piece is so important. So, of course, when a woman dies, you have this void where she's not an advocate anymore, unlike in other diseases, right? Her voice has been extinguished. And then the family that's left behind, and you've spoken to Ryan and others, I mean, you know, you see a father going home with a newborn without his wife. He never expected it. And so everyone's just like completely traumatized. So there aren't many Ryan Hansons out there actually telling their story. The second piece is that the, the narrowly escaped, I mean, that the implications are long-term consequences and implications. But what we're finding is, again, because we're not talking about the fact that this is happening, women end up blaming themselves. They say, it's something I did, not something that the health system may have not done, but it's something I did. So what we're finding as we're beginning to talk about it more is that there's this odd secret society that, to be honest, no one wants to be a member of. No one knows that they're a member of. And as we start talking to the women, they're like, wait, are you saying what I went through and have continued to suffer from may not be my fault? Are you saying that there are other people that also have suffered in this way? And so I think we're getting more voices out there. But generally what women will do is they'll say, I did something wrong, which led to this. Because you just don't hear of this happening in the U.S. So that's that's really interesting. So what you're saying is that I think I'm understanding that if a mother could feel like something that has gone wrong is her fault because she feels just naturally that her body should be able to make a baby and deliver the baby. And, and it's it seems like such a natural everyday thing to us that when it doesn't go right, you can actually internalize that and, and say, well, there must have been something wrong on my end. And that's why it, it went poorly. Is, Absolutely. Think yeah. about it. I know you're a father, right? Yes. You probably were told, congratulations on your pregnancy. This is super exciting. She might, Your wife might have had discussions around what kind of labor I want, the pain, mm-hmm. um, you know, all the sort of, the, the, almost the nice to have when you're talking about something as serious as this. It's very rare that you're told, by the way, you know, something really tragic could happen. Uh, And so I have a personal experience, not for my wife, but for my first child. So when my son was born, um, they, they, you know, we were pretty young and the doctor said, my, you know, my wife said the pain's getting pretty bad. And he gave her a narcotic. And she said, now that it's happened to her once, she's like, I never would have said okay to that. If I knew what it was like when our son came out, his APGAR scores were not good. And it took hours and hours for him to warm up and kind of come around because I think for lack of a better word, he was high when he came out. And and when he came out, the cord was wrapped around his neck. And I remember seeing it, looking at the, the OB and saying, is that a problem? And he looked at my son and said, he's breathing, it's okay. And that was the end of it. And now, and in the moment, you know, in the excitement, in the moment, I blew it off. But days later, I realized that what the doctor meant with his answer was, well, since he didn't die, it wasn't a problem. But we exactly. were we were close to a problem. And, and and had I never really gone back and reexamined the moment, I guess I never would have known how close we came to something. And, and I guess that happens to... So what happens? Is that, have we become blasé about childbirth? Do, do, even on the medical side, people like this happens every day. That's the old saying, right? Somebody gives birth every day. You come in, it's like a drive-through at McDonald's. We'll get you out of here and, and you'll be good. It, it, or, and... And is that causing people to miss things? 
Yeah, so I think there is some complacency, right? We never really think of these kind of things happening in the U.S. And the reason I say that there's some complacency is when we started our work at Merck for Mothers again, as I said, I expected to have all our work happening in sub-Saharan Africa and, and India. I wasn't expecting to have initiatives in the U.S. But when we looked at the data and we saw this rise, there were three things that were sort of coming up as things we have to address straight away. First of all is that more than half the states in this country didn't even know the number of deaths. I mean, we were not, when we started our initiative, even counting the number of maternal deaths. Now, that indicates a whole other level of complacency where we don't even have a process to ensure we know the number of deaths that are happening. The other thing that was happening that is a gold standard or not happening and is gold standard in other countries is when a maternal death happens, it's like an airplane accident. It's supposed to be a never event. You're supposed to examine exactly what happened or didn't happen that led to this. So then you can prevent others in the future. More than half the states were not doing that. So we initiated a big initiative to make sure all deaths were being counted and reviewed. Yeah. The other thing, again, best practice in most other countries, and this is why I'm saying there's some complacency, is that um, what with a heart attack, you have a heart attack in this country, when you go in, everyone, you have an expectation, but also the hospital knows exactly what to do. There is a standardized national protocol. When we looked into it in this country, the three biggest preventable obstetric killers were preeclampsia, so pregnancy-induced high blood pressure, mm -hmm. embolism, a bit like a clot that you can get on a long airplane ride and goes to your lung, and bleeding during or soon after giving birth. Actually, the same three causes that happen, you know, in developing countries. But there were no standardized protocols. So unlike with other things like trauma, road traffic accident, heart attack, one could argue all the diseases that mainly affect men, there was nothing that was standardized. Now, we know if you don't have standardized care you will have poorer outcomes. So those two things we knew we had to address and indicate a level of complacency. Now, the third thing is that in this country, and we cannot ignore this, obesity, high blood pressure, diabetes, like chronic conditions are on the rise. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the deaths, at least half of the women that died had at least one chronic condition. It's not all the women. Okay. Maternal mortality morbidity is affecting women across all socioeconomic statuses. It doesn't matter where you live in the U.S., what hospital you go to, but half of those women do have a pre-existing condition. Okay. And do you think the pre-existing, can you, can you relate the pre-existing condition to what happened during the, the childbirth? Or is it just can a, you, sorry? Can you, can you directly relate those pre-existing conditions to what happened during childbirth? Or is it just, is it just numbers at this point? No, they definitely increase the chance of a woman experiencing a complication. And most physicians, if they, you know, if they know of these, so of course the woman has to go to care in advance of going into labor, you can put things in place to manage it. However, I think what we're not doing very well and why we had to initiate programs around this is, you know, the physician takes, so when you come into my clinic, this is what I can do for you. But actually there's a whole host of stuff that a woman and her family should be doing back in the community, in her home, to also navigate those pre-existing conditions. So some programs that we've um, actually been funding are sort of a bit more innovative models where there's, they have a sort of a community health worker that really helps them in the community 
takes them into the health system to sort of translate what the health system is saying and then takes that back into the community because we need a sort of navigator across those silos, you know, the what happens in the community at home and what happens in the healthcare system. Right. And because there's there's things you need to do prior to being pregnant or during the pregnancy that if you don't accomplish that maybe by the time the childbirth comes, some of those things are too late to fix. And, and you, Exactly. Right. And so I, you know, it's what you said that really sparked my imagination was that with these three conditions, the preeclampsia, the bleeding and the embolism, those, those possibilities of, of, of things happening during around the childbirth, that there's no set standard for what to do when they happen is fascinating. And and is Merck mothers having, are they having an impact on that? Or or are you able to get to, to get people to follow protocols? Yeah, it's been really um, actually heartening. So what we did is we said if variation is the problem, we need to get all the professional organizations that sort of, you know, touch in quotation marks the woman during her pregnancy and childbirth to work together. So we had the ACOG, which is the Professional Association of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, A1, which is the professional organizations of obstetric nurses, and CNQCC, which are quality improvers, we funded them to work together and say, come up with one standardized protocol. We call them we call them safety bundles for each of these emergencies. And then they implemented in five states, so they covered about quarter of the births that happen every year in this country, to show that you can implement these in every hospital in those five states. And what happened two years on is that the US government Maternal Child Health Bureau saw them working together and they'd never worked together like this before and actually have funded um, another 10 states to take these safety bundles on. Now, we're not at 50 states and I believe that every woman should um, know that when she goes into her hospital, she will get standardized care. So that is the vision. But already four years into programming, we are now ensuring 15 states um, have these protocols in place in every single hospital. And they work. And, and so I, I guess that when people listen to this, it, it's probably easy for them to think, well, I have health care. I'm not poor. This isn't something that happens to people like me. But, you know, Ryan's story clearly indicates that that's wrong. He, you know, he's in New Jersey and on the East Coast around great hospitals. He was insured. His wife went in and she didn't come back. Um, what What could women do during the process when they're OB? I mean, should you just directly say to your OB, hey, listen, I have a question. Should I experience bleeding in after childbirth? How do you handle that? Is it that yeah. clear? Absolutely critical. As you said, I mean, we know seven senior executives at Merck who've experienced this and, you know, they definitely have good healthcare insurance and access. So the I would really put mom and family at the center of this. If you think about it, a doctor has multiple responsibilities and priorities. For you as the mom, you are your only priority. So we have to put mom and family at the center. And there's, you know, six things I would say. First of all is before pregnancy, if you have chronic conditions, cardiovascular, et cetera, you need to go into your OB to just do a health check. It's Entering into pregnancy healthy is number one. 
second is timely early prenatal get care. I know lots of women, you know, even in my circle, are like, oh, we're so busy with work, etc. They don't necessarily start their prenatal care early enough, and they definitely don't all do the full number of appointments, especially when they've had children before. The third, and we call it a pep talk, pep, you know, P for preeclampsia, E for embolism, P for postpartum hemorrhage, which is when you go to your OB, have a conversation about these complications. Don't let it stay at, congratulations, let me do your routine checks. Am I at risk? What can I expect from the hospital if something like this happens? But most importantly, what can I do? All of these three things have warning signs. All of these three things have things that the woman or the family could recognize and get the woman to care sooner. Importantly, after delivery, 60% of the women that are dying in this country during pregnancy and childbirth actually are dying after birth. And what happens is after birth, everyone's like, oh, it's all about the baby. Right? Think about all the gifts. You take them for the baby, the baby grows, etc. Don't lose focus on the mum. We funded A1 to actually have a project called Empowering Women Project. It was a simple post-birth checklist that the woman and her family could take home and said, if you have these serious warning signs, you must go into the facility ASAP. And I've got multiple emails of cases where women have gone to the emergency room and said, I have this swollen leg. I'm having difficulty breathing. And initially, the emergency room attendants being like, oh, I don't think anything's wrong. You're a new mom. And they've like, no, we've got this checklist. Someone needs to see me. And they've ended up having an embolism. But the last piece is, and this is actually really important, um, if you have had one of these complications, you need to know that you have long-term uh, risk of developing further complications. So someone who's had preeclampsia during pregnancy actually is at higher risk of having high blood pressure and cardiovascular problems later on in life. So even once you've dealt with all these issues, you need to go back to your OB or your PCP and say, I had this complication. What does it mean for me as I, you know, go into the rest of my life? And what should I be looking out for? So I would say be informed and inform. Talk about it. So other, you know, women are aware and then take control because at the end of the day, the healthcare system should be responsive to your needs. Knowledge is power and be an active participant in your healthcare, not a passive recipient of the healthcare system. Well, the one, one thing that really stuck out to me when I was talking to Ryan about his wife and how she passed afterwards is that she was well aware that something wasn't right and she couldn't get anybody to really listen to her. And, and, and that was, that was fascinating because then that seemed like she, I mean, it's 2000, you know, we're in the 2000s, you, you know, like when, when a woman tells their doctor or their healthcare or their nurse that, Hey, I think something's wrong with me to get an answer back. Like, Oh, you just had a baby. Like that's, but that's something you expect to hear in 1950. Like that, that's how that struck me. Like I thought that answer was really disgusting actually. Like, Oh, you know, you, you ladies and your babies and you're upset or like, like I was like, wow, that's, that's the answer. Like you don't listen to her. And, 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 and so having these steps to take, I, I guess really takes kind of the emotion out of it and your, your ability as the mother or the father to say, oh, maybe we are overreacting because I've never been through this before and I don't know what I'm talking about. And they do. It is very simple. And, and Brian, I know that 
most most of the people that listen to this podcast we we talk about type one diabetes all the time, but one of the things we talk about a lot is that you sometimes know yourself much better than your physician, and that there are certain people Absolutely. there are certain people in the world that we've been conditioned to listen to blindly doctors, police officers, teachers, nobody questions them, but you have to have the nerve you you have to and and for your own life for your own health or your baby's health to speak up and say, I know something's wrong, you can't ignore me. It, it just, it's too important. Exactly, and that's why, you know, people can go to sort of www.merkfromothers.com to get some of these tools, but I, and I, you know, I'm an OB myself, but I, I, there is a power dynamic, right? There is a hierarchy. And so when we have this sort of pep talk uh, tool or the checklist, it just gives you that little bit more to say, wait, I read about this, or I've been told this, and it's it's often not you know the healthcare system's fault. I mean, there's a lack of awareness about this within healthcare professionals, right? So we're digging up new data. We're we're you know the most updated because we're obsessed about this. But I can imagine that ER physician is like bombarded from different directions. Like, really, I don't think this is a problem. And then when the women have shown the checklist or the husbands have become these advocates to say, hang on, wait, we were told that, you know, immediately they're responsive and said, okay, let, let's, let's call the relevant physician. Uh, let's take this seriously. So unfortunately, that power dynamic exists. And fortunately, there are now these tools and obviously podcasts like yourself, because I think women will become more empowered with this knowledge and some of this information is actually going to go back to the healthcare system as to why they need to pay more attention to this issue. Eventually, it does come full circle. And when people advocate, I see it in the diabetes community all the time, you end up teaching your physicians things. And and that's fantastic. I mean, there's no better, you know, there's no better information than coming from the people it's happening to. Let me ask you, if a woman, and i now talking to you, I'm 100% sure that they should have this pep talk with their OB. If they have it and they get back resistance or the doctor seems insulted, is that an indication you should be switching? Yeah, it's a good question. We haven't had much feedback saying that there's any pushback. It might be a time issue like, oh, well, uh, you know, could could we talk about this next time? Uh, which I would I would say absolutely. As long as it's soon, um, you want some time to say what can I do. Um, but we are not hearing that there's pushback from the healthcare professionals. But I, I yeah, I mean, if your healthcare professional is not willing to empower you with information that would allow you to get to the healthcare system earlier. There's something wrong there. But I have to say, we haven't heard much of that. Um, you know, they may not address this if you don't bring it up. Um, but if you bring it up, we haven't heard that healthcare professionals are not willing to engage. Pushback. That's excellent. I, and you know what, too? I guess it just occurred to me, in larger practices, you could have every one of your OB appointments with one doctor. And then due to scheduling or timing, when you go into labor, a different doctor could show up to deliver your baby. That That happens all the time. So have these conversations, I would think, with people in the practice. Like, you know, if it's not you, who's it going to be? And, you know, are they aware of these things? It's, 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 it's really scary. I mean, once I, once I spoke to Ryan and now I'm talking to you, it just, it just really is, you know, it feels ignorant. I feel ignorant about it. It just seemed like one of those things, like having a baby seemed pretty automatic. And, and my wife's pregnancies weren't, 
you know, they weren't completely, you know, without any issue. And still, I never had the feeling like anything would go wrong. And, and I guess that's just my head in the sand, honestly. Yeah, and I think, you know, this is why, you know, podcasts like yourself, yours is so important. But I, I, I wouldn't necessarily say we should be scared. I think this is a good indicator of why it's so important that we, um, as the public and the patients, are responsible for our own healthcare, right? So knowing that you have the right to ask these questions, knowing in this situation there is a lot you can do to keep yourself safe because the warning signs come so early. Um, And then sharing the stories beyond did you have a vaginal delivery or did you have a C-section, like allowing people to talk about their experiences and if, for example, in your situation, you want to know more about what happened, I think people should feel comfortable six, eight, 10, 12 weeks later, even a few years later to say, hey, I just want to know what happened there. Because some people are going to be carrying a trauma around with them, right? And I think it's absolutely fair to go back and say, I would just like to better understand what happened, but also are there any long-term implications for my health care because I suffered from, you know, X, Y, Z during pregnancy. Do you, I'm wondering, do people not advocate, because it's so interesting what diseases people advocate for and what they don't. Like, for instance, type 1 diabetes is a very, is a very widely and heavily advocated for disease, but not type 2. No one speaks up about having type 2 diabetes, generally speaking. And I think that's probably because of then there's an embarrassment factor. People with type one can say, hey, listen, this isn't my fault. People with type two can say the same thing, honestly, but someone from the outside can come in and say, oh no, you have type two diabetes because you ate too much. And so people keep their heads down. Is this, I mean, I don't want to be silly, but is this like, because you're talking about your lady bits, is that why people don't talk about it? Do you think it's an embarrassment or, or you know what I mean? Like, yeah, what? So a lot about this. It's a fascinating question. Like, why are certain? Why are more people not talking about maternal health? I think the first, you know, goes full circle. One is there was a complacency. You know, if we weren't counting the deaths, like we didn't even know they were on the rise for a really long time. So one was like, well, of course this isn't happening here. It's happening over there in the poor parts of the world. Now there's more awareness that, oh God, we might need to look into it here. The next hurdle is, isn't this an issue of poor black people? And so then when people hear this is an issue affecting all women, uh, you know, senior executives, the Ryan Hansons of the world, then people are like, oh, actually, wait, I need to prick my ears up. And then you probably fall into numbers, right? Well, you know, we've got way more millions of deaths due to heart attacks and things. This is only, you know, people very easily say it's only 1,200 deaths, forgetting that these are very young, productive women, and there's implications for the whole family and community when this happens. And then fourth, I would say, oh, it's a woman's issue. But I think the first three are absolutely the first barriers as to why people aren't talking about it. And we need to be talking about it more, not just for the women that we've lost, um, which are complete tragedies, but actually for the women that really were had experienced a near miss and are living with that burden of it was me and it was my fault, and they probably haven't spoken about to a healthcare professional about what they should be doing maybe for future pregnancies that would make them sort of safer and healthier, but also for the rest of their life.
I, one of the things you said I've, I've found fascinating forever. My daughter has had type one diabetes for a decade. She was diagnosed when she was two, and and one of the things I find fascinating is that when people try to talk about it, that sometimes people want to they want to one up you with their diseases. Like your disease is not as bad as my <laughs> disease. I'm like, how is that? Anything bad happening to you is bad. You, you, you know what I mean? Like, it's that idea. If I get up today and I have a really good day, but, you know, around 10 o'clock I, I, I kick the sofa and my, my, my toe turns black and blue, in the perspective of my day, that was sort of a bad thing that happened to me. If you had a car accident and your car's all dented up, your day's not worse than mine. You, you know what I mean? Like, like, I had something bad happen to me. You had something bad happen to you. Why are we in a race here to see which is worse? It's a, it's a bizarre thing that I never understand you know, people start talking about this is what it's like for me to have type 1 diabetes. And someone says, I have cancer. And I'm like, well, that's terrible, too. It doesn't make my thing not terrible. You, you, it's a very strange human reaction. And uh, it was just interesting to hear you bring it up here, too. So I don't know. It, it's, I think you guys are doing fantastic work. Is there something, um, if I'm not a person, you know, who's pregnant or having a pregnancy, is, is should I still be going to Merck for Mothers? Should I, is there a reason for me to go to the website? Can I help with something? Is there more for me to learn, even if I'm not going to have a baby? Yeah, thank you for that question. I actually think this is going to take a whole community response, right? So, you know, grandmothers, mothers-in-law, um, partners, friends, we all have a responsibility to make sure our uh, mums in this country are safe and healthy. So actually, I talk about it, you know, just in my friend circle. And when I go and visit people that are having a baby, I now won't. Of course, I might get something for the baby, but I'm I'm going to ask different questions of the mom. Like, how are you doing, right? You know, people often just, it's all about the baby. Is the baby sleeping? What about the mom? D does she have any early signs of depression? Is she okay? Are there questions? Just keep an eye on the mom. Uh, share these stories, share this information, because you never know who around the dinner table is thinking of pregnancy, right? So as you begin to share this knowledge and this information, there will be someone whose ears prick up and they say, oh, a neighbor, a friend, a relative is thinking about pregnancy. I better just tell her and her family that this is a problem. So, you know, it doesn't have to be a depressing conversation. I would go to Merck for Mothers just to learn about what we can all do to keep our mothers in our community safer and healthier. And I, you know, I'll end on, I think, be informed and inform. At the end of the day, knowledge is power and we should be in control of our healthcare. Yeah, that's excellent. I'm really, I, I have to say, when you first came on, I told you we're going to talk all about it and I'm going to edit out some of this and, and, and stitch it into Ryan's interview, which I'm still going to do, but then I'm going to run our half an hour as a bonus at the end. So people can hear us talk straight through about it because oh, well, thank you. no, Scott. no, really it's, it's just, it seems so, it just seems like it's such an easy thing to ignore. And, and like you said, 1200 people, you can say that's just 1200. It's just 1200 until it's you. And then you go back and listen to Ryan talk about, you know, he's a young man, building a family goes into the hospital and and less than a week later he's a guy sitting at home with a newborn baby and his wife is gone and and it's just you know it, it tragic doesn't even cover it. it it's it's unthinkable it's it's something you can't prepare for and it's colored the rest of his life now he's got a great story and he found his way out of it but still you can hear when he's talking about it even though he's 
got a new wife, he's building a new family, and all this stuff. The, the fact that this woman that he loved and thought he was going to spend the rest of his life with is just not here anymore, it, it's, it's with him constantly. You, you know, it's, and if that's avoidable, then every step should be taken to avoid it, if you can. Exactly. We're talking about preventable tragedies here, and that's why at Mothers, we thought it was absolutely critical that we did something in this country as well as the other 29 countries that we're in. And Scott, thank you so much for giving us this opportunity to take this story and the awareness to another level. So a huge thank you from all the mums to you. Learn more about Merck for Mothers at MerckForMothers.com. And don't forget the Tara Hansen Foundation, TaraHansenFoundation.com. Links to both in your show notes. In the end, stick up for yourself. Speak up if you don't feel well. Don't just think because the doctor said you're okay, you're okay. It's your life. It's your baby. It's your health. It's your family. Say something.